0: Randomly Stuff, Randomly Stuff, Randomly Stuff Randomly Stuff, Randomly Stuff, Randomly Stuff
1: Welcome back, folks, to episode 11 pushing past that 10-episode barrier of the Randonista podcast. I am your host, Laura, and this is the podcast that strives to bring humanity and human stories back to the conversations around bicycles. In today's episode, I have some really big news I'm going to share as PQ joins me um, to talk through a lot of infrastructure and ride updates during bike news and then for friends on bikes eating dessert we'll have part one of a two-part series about newer bike riders who are taking the dive into racing so gabby from women on wheels is joining me to talk about her inspiration for this move and how the training has been going she'll also come back at the end of the episode where we'll play a fun game about some cool cycling facts and it was really fun so i think you'll like that segment a lot Finally, in the deeper look, I talked to Meg Cater. Um, some of you may know her as the writer who has really been instrumental in helping things like the century happen that Liz rock and Yari were a part of, um, as well as a, a key member within the women on wheels, you know, uh, group chat that we have going, um, they talked to me a lot about their journey and growth uh, through cycling to find a community that felt comfortable um, and would allow them to really explore the beliefs around uh, equity and around um, gender identity moving forward. And so uh, we really explored how, you know, how to find a space where you can feel comfortable and how cycling can really be that space for people. So I think it was a really interesting conversation um, and I, I look forward to everybody listening to it. So we got a lot to cover today. I'm going to move us through this without further ado. Bike news. Moving into bike news. Uh, I have an well, I was about to say old friend, but I, I, you know, new friend, old friend, awesome friend. However it's been almost a year. Yeah. Uh, PQ is back with me today, co-hosting. Glad to have them back on the pod. And uh, I, I've been trying to remember to start this segment with a little bike joy. So um, I'm not sure I warned you that I was going to do this, but do you have a, a bike joy from the last week, couple weeks, however you want to do it? I do. Uh, I got another bicycle. I own Uh, a carbon bike now. Oh my God. My bike joy is (laughs) another bike too. All right. We'll get to it. Go ahead. Tell me about your carbon bike. Um,
2: I acquired a used Roubaix from Wirt. Ooh. Uh, so it's a very fast bike and I have been learning to ride that. It weighs a lot less than any of the other bikes I own. Yeah. Uh, It's also a little smaller. So it's got the, somehow it has the least aggressive geography, Hmm. geometry of any bike I own, which is pretty funny. Um, But it's been really interesting because I don't really ride things with gears. Yeah. And, And so understanding shifting and cadence is cool in the context of riding, but is also cool in the context of using these things will help me to better understand how to work on them. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, separately, uh, my younger nephew is now tall enough to sit on a trail behind. Yeah. So we took him on his first ride on a trail behind, and we started teaching both of our nephews to uh, bike underneath the tunnels of our bridged arms. <gasps> Aww, and that was really cool.
1: That's adorable. Um. Uh,
0: What's making
2: you
1: happy right now in bicycling? Okay. So my bike joy. So first of all, my big news is that I finally got a new job. And so I have a real big kid job again, um, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to get to work on a lot of projects that are really uh, exciting to me in the world of content. Um, So that's very cool. Part of it is that the commute is a little further away than I had uh, hoped Still on the red line, which is nice, but I have to go all the way to Quincy, which means oh, that's far. that, uh, I might have gotten myself a Brompton. <laughs>
2: so cool!
1: So now I Brompton am the- for
2: the first folders I ever encountered.
1: Yeah. Team tiny wheels. Um, I definitely got it last week was really excited, wrote it to at least one day in the office last week. And the best part about it, though, the part that really gave me joy was the fact that on my way home, I could get off at MGH and just ride all the way from the Longfellow back to my house. And I missed having that commute because I used to ride uh, up and down the river every day for work. And it just it brought me a lot of joy. It was like kind of cold. It was a little overcast and I could not have been happier to be riding my bike home. So that was pretty That's cool awesome. for me. That was my big bike joy. Uh, I also, of course am already within a week known as the person who does bikey things at work because that always ends up being the conversation that comes up. And I've already had two coworkers be like, Oh, you know about bikes. Can you help me get my kid onto a pedal bike? And like, let's Ooh. chat. <laughs> So that was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, those are I love it. Matching bike joys. Um important
2: question. Does your yes. Brompton have
1: a name yet? No, I've never been the type of person to really name my bikes. Um, but I have been thinking about it that it it in particular this bike should have a name. Um, so I'm going to keep noodling on it. If you have any thoughts, please let me know. Cause I would be totally down moving into actual bike news, infrastructure news. Uh, we have a couple of things that I want to make sure I mention, And then I'm also going to, um, tell you about some fun rides coming up, which, you know, it's spring there's rides again. So that's very exciting. Uh, but before we get to that, the ongoing saga that is the Porter square bike lanes is still ongoing. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Uh, apparently the city council vote to expand to bike lanes on Mass Ave was actually delayed to Monday, April 25th. So now is your time show your support. Uh, make sure to to let them know that you support it. Um, because that vote is coming up again, and that will be, uh, to vote on proposed bike, a, a proposed bike safety project on Mass Ave between Harvard and Porter square and North of Porter square, which many of you may recall has a ghost bike on it. Um, and it will fill in the gaps of those protected bike lane networks because there's a lot of Mass Ave, North Mass Ave, close to Harvard Mass Ave that does have protection, uh, but there's big old gaps in between those. So they're trying to, to fill those in. Um, so that is the first one that I want to talk about. And then the other big infrastructure project I want to talk about completely on the other side of the city is actually at Cummings Highway. Which you know they've been talking about this a while, but they're now starting to ask people for uh, their input on an age-friendly street design for Cummins Highway. So um, the city of Boston is asking for uh, input on how they can make this more age-friendly when discussing their street design strategies, especially for supporting people as they get older. Um, and this is a big reconstruction project. They're asking for that input for also April 26th. So in both cases, I will have links on how you can show your support or give your input or whatever you would like to do in those cases, um, in the notes, in the show notes and make sure that you follow and track those. Cause those are going to be two really big projects coming up. Woo. Okay. I always feel like I just don't breathe for a few minutes while I tell those updates. Um, cool. All right. Any thoughts or infrastructure things that you want to make sure you get in before we move on to rides? I, the big thing that I
2: have to say is just watching all of these bike lanes showing up on Mass Ave. I spend a lot of time in the comments section on the Cambridge Bicycles Facebook group because I like to watch drama. Mm -hmm. I would like you to know that I got doored on Mass Ave Uh, probably eight years ago and looked up to a trash truck about to run me over, but it was where Mass Ave was two lanes wide. And so they were able to get around me, but it was one of the scariest moments of my life Mm -hmm. and having access to a bike lane there. Now I don't live in Arlington anymore. So that's not part of my daily commute any longer, but being able to use that as a throughway coming back from the Minuteman or coming back from Belmont or coming back from anywhere else, having a corridor that cyclists pe- cyclist commuters can safely use that isn't the last chunk of not really Minuteman, but bike path that runs from Arlington Center into Trolley Square having options for when it's congested is really nice. And knowing that there will be a safe, hopefully a safe corridor all the way into Harvard square warms my little goblin heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have been watching the comments section and there are a couple of businesses across from Leslie that are
1: very, very opposed Wait, to it. Wait, hold on. I, I need... I let, I let out a deep sigh when you said that. I just wanted to make sure I got picked up on the mic. Continue. That's for next uh, door, so- which is doing the same thing. Go ahead.
2: But what I will say is it's so baffling that people still think that all of their business comes from drivers and all of their business comes from cars.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that I, I understand that there are people for whom cycling Is not a really good option. And I have seen some people say, hey, we're really worried about having handicapped accessible spaces, which is hugely important. I confess, I don't know a lot about the legislation around that. I have some friends who I know really need to park as close as they can to the businesses that they're trying to access. And I know that there are other people like that, but there's gotta be an equitable way to design things that we can all get. Safely to the places that we're trying to go
1: um and yeah and I get really frustrated I when we'll I that. see those complaints because it's always the people who aren't differently able complaining about it uh, you know what about these people and we're like okay well then let's get less cars on the road so those people can drive through like I've never said we shouldn't have cars anymore but anyway that's a. Uh, that's a longer conversation that uh, I definitely talked about with my main guest as well, and could talk about forever. But I, yeah. I, I recently was joking with a friend of mine. Um,
0: uh,
1: Pixar made a movie. Well, you know, maybe a little less popular, maybe more popular depending where you live. Since there's uh, three of them now, but the movie Cars. If you remember yep. the movie Cars, the town that he ends up in is completely dilapidated because they put in a giant highway and everybody Mm. now drove past it. If we aren't putting in infrastructure so that people can actually stop and hang out at these places, uh, instead of speeding by in their cars, um, no one's going to stop. And I know that's not a perfect analogy because their whole point is they want to have a place to park, but and a lot of ways we've created a reason for you to not need to drive through there anymore. And the people who actually use those spaces are people walking and biking. I know for me, like I would avoid Harvard square if I didn't bike through it. There are plenty of ways for me to drive around Harvard square. And I, you know, have been frequenting it more and was going down a side street. and was like, Oh my God, I forgot how much good food there is here. So I, you know, I've already made it my mission to eat more of Harvard Square's food recently. So, you know, just a, just food for thought. I was thinking about that recently.
2: (laughs) I hugely agree with you because the last couple of years have really shown us how much we can get delivered to our doors instead of having to go out into the world. And Mm -hmm. you really have to make an effort to go out and support the local businesses in your community. If I'm in a car, I'm going to go do the one errand Mm -hmm. that requires, like, I own a car, I drive less than one time a week. I am going to go do the one big errand that requires that, and I'm going to go take it home. If I'm on a bicycle or if I'm on foot, I feel like I can go run a whole bunch of errands because I've organized my day to be able to, and my route, to be able to do as many things as possible in the most efficient manner possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're taking a bus, if you're walking, if you're cycling, you're more likely to do that. Um, you're more likely to f- end up frequently, frequenting more businesses. Um,
0: just straight up seeing
1: more of online. them. You just see more of them because the pace you're going. Um, and mm-hmm. so you can take more of it in, but we could digress on this for a while. So I will cut anyway. us off, but I think, uh, keep an eye on those two projects. Cause it's going to be really hugely important too um our city as we go forward. Uh the next I got a lot to talk about in bike news today. The next thing I want to talk about is um an announcement about a very exciting bike ride that I am hosting uh is um and I could have said this in the intro at the beginning but I wanted to uh say it in front of someone so I would have a reaction because I'm really excited about it. So May 20th so there'll be time for me to announce this more than once. I am going to be leading a ride with Yari from Women on Wheels. Two of us are leading it together for REI. We are doing a sponsored ride. Oh, we're awesome. calling it our Sunset Series and we're going to start near the REI uh, Fenway location. Technically we'll be across the street. Again, I'll have the link for signing up, but we're going to do a beautiful ride look at the sunset, come back. And then there'll be a social aspect to it afterwards. We're all going to hang out. You'll get a drink ticket, Um, make sure you RSVP though. So we are looking for people to actually sign up, but I could not be more excited because I wasn't allowed to announce it publicly until a couple of days ago. So that is really happening. And there's going to be one in May and then one in June. Um, But yeah, that's my big news. I'm doing a ride for REI this year. Two rides. so cool. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening. Cause I could have said that by myself, but that's just not nearly as much fun. Um, and then just in general, in terms of ride news, uh, the ride for black lives is coming back April 30th. I actually just found out and I need to text the group that I can attend because originally I was supposed to be teaching that day. Um, so I will be there April 30th and we are hoping to kind of, tell the the world a little bit more about what the group, the organizers are doing kind of behind the scenes. So, you know, we never wanted it to just be a ride. We want to, do more for the community. So if you come out to the ride, you'll hear us speak a little bit more about that. And, uh, we're also seeking more organizers. So if anybody is interested, you know, it's a black led organization. Um, but we are open to all people coming and, and helping out and supporting. So feel free to come to that event and see what we're all about. That should be good. That's April 30th. Um, and that will be again, going back to white stadium, uh, back to Franklin park. Uh, and that's, I think 10 o'clock meet. Um, and then 10, 15, 10 30, we're starting the programming and then leaving for the ride by like 10 45, I think. So, uh, I could have those details slightly wrong. Make sure to look at the Facebook group, but, uh, the details will be in the show notes. So those are the big rides that I wanted to make sure to get out. There's more in general that's happening. And I might, put even more at the end of this, but those are the two big ones I wanted to make sure to announce at the top. Well, I was going to rewind
2: for just a second because this past weekend was indeed one of my favorite group rides of the year because it's a ride that you can do in a group or solo, but you're never really alone. Um, oh
1: yes of course the midnight I'll
2: marathon s- ride happened this past weekend this is yeah. how I first met Galen actually mm-hmm. um he was riding his drum bike and directing traffic uh mm-hmm. but this past year was the 14th annual Boston Midnight Marathon ride um there are uh, you know up to I want to say 2,500 or 3,000 plus riders have done it in peak years when they've <laughs> offered like truck and train options. Uh, every year that I've ridden I've ridden out to Hopkinton and back which is 60 plus miles which mm-hmm. is a lot in the middle of the year and for a lot of riders at the early of season. season yeah if you don't <laughs> ride year round uh, mm-hmm. like some people that I know who like to be cold in the winter and ride with warmers in their toes and neoprene shoe covers boy the neoprene shoe covers made a difference let me tell you I believe that it's so cold
1: uh, I just rode on uh, a was, trainer but yeah.
2: <laughs> um I rode my single speed. The only place that I really regretted it was that last hill going up into Hopkinton. I'm sad about it mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Steep. I've heard from runners that it's not actually very much fun to go down either.
1: Cuz it's too um, steep.
2: Cuz it's so steep. Yeah. Um but that was this past weekend. If you haven't done it before, don't let the distance scare you. There's lots of options for being able to get yourself out there and only having to do a one-way ride. Uh, hopefully next year, they'll be able to reorganize some group transit options. Uh, yeah. But, but like I said, what I liked is that I rode out and back alone. I have a bell on my bike. Anytime I pass other cyclists, I rang my bell. Normally you pass other cyclists during the day You're out on the road. Everybody's in spandex. Maybe they'll nod. Maybe they'll wave. But maybe they'll ignore you. Mm. On this ride, you ring your bell. You wave. Everybody's waving. They're cheering. They're so excited. Everybody's so excited to be out there. And that's really great energy to start a riding season on. Yeah. So I'm stoked that we have all of these other group rides coming back. Uh, I know there are others. I've seen others advertise. But uh, hopefully we'll get a good list in the show notes.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, there's definitely more. I just don't want to, um, take too long on this whole segment of the but the midnight marathon, I I've got my Facebook notification that I did it three or four might've been four years ago at this point. Um, for anyone who knows me, uh, you know, that I like sleep. Um, so the idea of like being there at midnight is not that thrilling to me. I did it one year. Cause I really wanted to do it, and then, and I picked a year where it was really warm, and I did the out and back. Um, so yep,
0: I was oh, really proud of myself. Uh,
1: did it the year I did it? Did it drizzle? Yeah, maybe a winter, little bit. Warm, but it drizzled a little. It was like in the like high fifties when I did it. It was insane how warm it was at midnight. Yeah, um,
2: that was the year I did it on my tall bike. I uh, don't recommend it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, but I was just going to say for a little behind the scenes for folks at home, Greg hum, the, uh, founder and creator of the movement of the midnight marathon ride. Um, he got married very recently. And so he was not, you know, he's got a lot going on. He unfortunately wasn't able to put all the effort in to do the, the train or, or vans or whatever it is, but I know he doesn't want to let this movement die. Um, so he's probably going to, you know find ways to bring it back in fuller force next year. But it's really, I I agree, it's really heartening to see the community coming back out and just being really excited for these moments. Because You know, the last two years have sucked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We couldn't do it in 2020. Some people did it in 2021, but 2022, I really feel like it came back, which was great.
2: Yeah. In a big way. Uh, And uh, I confess, I actually left my house at six and I got home at exactly (laughs) 1205.
1: Nice. uh,
3: That's more my style. It
2: was really cold and I did not need to be out at 36 degrees at three in the morning.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I was just saying 2021, it was, it was the marathon last fall, right? It wasn't in it the was spring in, uh, September, October, October. Yeah. Whenever it ended up yeah. happening. So that, I think that was the other problem too, is like, it's just the wrong time of year. So this is really kind of like the kickoff to the season. So that's super fun. Um, yeah. That and sure to, to round out this segment, I think we got one more announcement. So reannounce it for us. What's,
0: what's yeah. the big news?
2: Um, was it the Cycling League of America declared that Massachusetts has superseded Washington and Oregon as the most cycling-friendly state in the U.S., which is kind of bunkers. Yes. Uh, to, to be totally honest, I was pretty blown away by that.
1: Yeah. And I think the funniest thing about it, and I'll I'll also link this uh, infographic that they made showing all of the different states. Um, one, yeah, I think that's really important is uh, Massachusetts usually comes in somewhere from the third to fifth position, uh, depending on the year. I feel like um, the city of Cambridge specifically usually comes in top five of like best cities in the country. And
2: Somerville's in the top 10. Yeah. And Somerville's me. right
1: there too. Not Boston proper, Cambridge and Somerville, (laughs) which we would all agree with. Uh, But yeah, the fact that Massachusetts is number one is a big deal because I think what's really funny about it is we eked out number one because in terms of infrastructure and funding, education and encouragement, policies and programs and evaluation and planning, we got A's across the board. And that was enough mm-hmm. to bump us above Oregon, even though we got a D. This D, as in David, in traffic laws and practices.
0: Oh no! <laughs> so well, that's
1: all. The,
2: that's <laughs> all of the education and policy work that you and I and Galen and all of the folks mm-hmm. that we spend all our time with uh, are working on.
1: Yes. So I I did find that kind of funny. And then it has the number of bicycle friendly actions, which there's an asterisk. That means bicycle friendly actions include a complete streets policy, a safe passing law, statewide bike plan, spending 2% or more federal transportation money on biking, walking, and bicycle safety emphasis. Um, We have four bicycles there instead of five, like Oregon and Washington do. My guess is because To my knowledge, we don't have a statewide safe passing law. We've been trying to get one instituted, I think. I could be totally wrong. I'm a fact check myself on that. So there may be an inserted voice right here. Hello, here is an inserted voice. Yes, that is um, actually correct. We do not have a safe distance uh, in numbers. Basically, the law says, quote, keep a safe distance from bicycles, but there's no actual three foot rule. And I know we've talked uh, with Galen in the past, um, on or off mic, I don't remember at this point, three feet for 30 miles per hour, four feet for 40 miles per hour, five feet for 50 miles per hour over, that would be how fast the car is driving next to you. So just wanted to insert that here real quick that we, uh, I can confirm we do not have um, a number put to our, quote, safe driving, passing distance. Uh, end of inserted voice that that's my guess on that. But yeah, so it's kind of funny that we are not like outstanding across the board, but we are so outstanding in the categories we do really well in that we were able to, to push ourselves ahead of Oregon and Washington. So that was very exciting. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was just very exciting. It's been all over the bicycle forums of look, look, look at us. We're so great. Uh, and hopefully we can keep it that way and we don't fall back down next year. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about what that's going to mean for the the future of biking in Massachusetts. And as we move into Bay State Bike Bike Month uh, and National Bike Month in May, um, hopefully we'll have some momentum going into the next season. PQ, any so uh, cool. final any final thoughts?
2: Uh, keep your fingers crossed for more warm weather so that we can keep going on long rides. I agree Um, with that. That's all I got for you. (laughs) I love it. I will let you get on with your night, but thank you for talking with me and for sharing the exciting news about your ride. Uh, I'm so excited I, I hope to be able to join you for that because riding along the river there at sunset is really, really lovely. It's really calming. Well, I super duper look forward to joining you. Have a great evening. Thank you. Um, and thanks PQ I for joining speak me with
1: you again soon. Yay. In-person bike rides. Yeah. Have a <laughs> good
0: night.
1: So for this edition of Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert, uh, I'm going to continue my tradition of the last couple of episodes, not actually having dessert with us, but that is because this is part one of a two-part series that we're going to be doing. Uh, where I talked to a couple of friends of mine about their journey to try out racing, something that I've never done. So very excited to talk to Gabby today uh, about this journey into racing. And then hopefully, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll also have Bridget on and we'll get to hear, you know, we'll do kind of two parts of what was your journey to get to this point. Was the training been like, and then we'll do a recap afterwards after
3: your first race. Oh, my God. My first race. nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Gabby. Um, I've been cycling for uh, avidly now for about two years. I started during the pandemic and uh, fell in love with the community that I found, which was women on wheels and brothers on bikes. And I met phenomenal people within that community. One of the people, which is who I'm racing with, is Bridget. And yeah. You're asking me how I got involved. Wow. <laughs> <Bridget>. <laughs> First, idea. And I just, didn't... uh, for the audience,
1: Bridget was on our last podcast. She was Bridget. doing the news with me. So you should have,
3: if you were listening, um, you would have heard her voice already. So, um, not that I didn't think about racing. I seen racing, but I never really thought that I could do it. Um, for two, two, two main reasons. One, um, I'm not your average looking cyclist. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not skinny. I'm not, you know, um. At least for me, I didn't think I was fast enough to actually consider a racer. But um, after looking at different videos and uh, understanding that there's different c- categories and these different type of trainings that you do, you don't have to be the average looking cyclist to actually you know race. So um, you know understanding what I was getting involved with, um, understanding there's going to be some training involved and uh, talking to Bridget, it, it, it helped me be more comfortable with the idea. So I'm actually pretty excited. To try this out. Now, with Southern Bridget, I know I'm not going to be number one, but I definitely don't want to be the last person. So, uh, <laughs> training has been very important. Um, I did fall short um, in March. I think we signed up February, so we it was very short, a short amount of time that we actually signed up. Um, that is, that's not a lot of time to train. How um,
1: long is the race itself? Like how? Many oh, so
3: years? so it's different categories. We're doing mm-hmm. Category Five Crit, um, which is very like beginner, beginner, beginner yeah and crit um, is short for criteria criteria, Cr- yeah. criteria which yeah. is like a high intensity effort type of racing where you're mm-hmm. just pedaling however long the race actually is so mm-hmm. our race is only 30 minutes um which is really great and luckily enough we also signed up to do a clinic uh which my understanding in, in the beginning is I, I didn't know what a clinic was i thought you like go in there and they'll tell you all about it very similar but you're actually witnessing other racers during oh, okay. category or in other categories as well because it's all in one day type of thing and um you also get to speak with uh another person within the uh I guess the, the place that we were at and they will explain to you especially since you're a beginner how to stay within a, a pack um how to keep your pace um, um making sure that you're not touching the brakes at all um how to get your corners because cornering is actually really scary when it comes to racing a lot of people uh, get tripped up about it. Um, just because if you cut the corner too, too quick, you're either going to fall, you're going to hit another racer in the back of the tire. And that's how accidents happen. So, uh, the clinic is very important to attend. Um, at least for this race that we're attending, they wanted us to do it just so we can understand the dynamics of it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, yeah.
1: Sorry. I was just going to say with the cornering too, I know from my own experience of riding with friends, uh, I have one friend who was like, "Oh, I wish I could corner like you do." And I don't think I do it that aggressively, but they just get really nervous and they're really afraid to lean into it, um, and so they slow way down for
3: all of their turns. Yeah. And so that's yeah, that's definitely something to think about. No, it's, um, it's for sure. And um, it's it's it gets more intense when you are doing a harder course. Luckily, that mm-hmm. we're doing it, it's uh, it's in Newton, Cowell's Ave. So if you ever been around Newton area, you understand what the the area is. It's a very flat road there's a slight little hill but not really it's not that bad um but it's you're just doing laps so for the 30 minutes that we're there we're just trying to basically ride at one pace as hard as you can um understanding that um adam who is our coach adam meyerson i think his next name is meyerson um he's been racing all his life i think he's mentioned to uh bridget and i that he's been racing since he was seven so he understands oh, dang. He's actually coaching that's what he does professionally too so he volunteered his time to to, um, you know, give us some advice and, you know, kind of put us under his wing and, and tell us what to do. So asking him in questions, especially knowing it's a short period of time. And we've been swifting like Bridget and I have been swifting throughout the winter. So it's not like we've been standing doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally was doing a. Um, like a program on swift where I, I forgot the name of the program was, was it that build me up one or were you no no, a no it wasn't a building up. it was the uh it was like a century one i forgot the name of oh one. okay yeah um so it graduated you, would,
1: you did a couple where you were like on the bike for three, three hours, hours
3: girl you were oh my god jesus request memories here oh no <laughs>
1: honestly if it wasn't for do you need a do you need a safe word for this
3: conversation (laughs) (laughs) no if it wasn't for I'm telling you the awesome community that I'm a part of if it wasn't for you guys being on like uh discord or talking to you guys I don't think I will be able to do any of that by myself for three hours Mm -hmm. and then even like the hour and a half or two that I had left to do I'll just put on music and I'll dance and Mm -hmm. that's just how it gets well anyways long story short, it's not like we weren't doing anything. So, um, one of the, one of the questions we we're asking Adam is like, what do you recommend to do? And Adam, of course, being, uh, like a heavy on coach, he said, well, I can't really quite specifically tell you what is, what you have to do because every workout, every plan is structured for the person. I have to see you, but generically you should do some interval trainings, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, like a series of like sprinting and coasting type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, he was telling us like during the 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 newton ride the wells ave race that we're going to do you're basically doing a series of like uh like was mentioning sprinting and coasting sprinting is like mm-hmm. you're pedaling as fast as you can and then coasting like if you're within a, in the pack you can just coast it in between and you're you're basically drafting the person and that's how you're going to keep your energy throughout the whole thing but while you're training he told us to do like overs and unders which is considered 40 20 second rule uh, my understanding of that um and What he meant by that is as you're in your trainer or as in your bike or whatever type of uh, stationary bike that you're using, you want to pedal as fast as you can for 40 seconds and then for 20 seconds, like just pedal normally. Mm -hmm. And you want to do that for like 15 minutes straight and then 5-10 minutes after that. You know, regular pace and then continue it again. So that mm-hmm. kind of simulates the race that we're going to do, which is at Wells App for like a 30 minute race. Yeah. So if you could keep that pace going with like a certain amount of cadence, then, you know, you you should be decent enough to go ahead and race within Wells App. So understanding that, I, February started, I started doing that and I was doing okay. March came around and, you know, uh, I had a, a death in the family and kind of set back plans a little bit, but I focused again. April started and I'm back at it. And hopefully when it comes down to the race, I, I do okay. I won't be last. I'll tell you that, Laura. I won't be
1: uh-huh. <laughs> that was always okay. I ran four years of cross country and my goal was always to just not be last. by second to last, that was a great day. That's like, great. Exactly. We're <laughs> gonna be first, but I definitely want to be last. <laughs> yeah. So um you know leading up to this, uh tell people when the race, you don't have to tell them to attend because it's very early in the morning. But yeah, no,
3: I think by the time this airs, I'm already yeah. with the racing. We're already doing the recap. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
3: but when when is it? It's it's another so week. It was week? supposed to be last Sunday. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be Easter Sunday. But uh we got an email. Um, not sure exactly what happened. I'm assuming they just couldn't get enough volunteers. Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. maybe, who knows? Plus yeah. the weather was kind of crappy. Um, but they extended it or they um postponed it and it's actually this Sunday very so, exciting very, so what do you yeah, I have both feelings nervous and excited at the same time
1: I that's my next question so what are you most nervous about and then what are you most excited about
3: my the nervous is coming from the fact that I feel like I did not train enough mm-hmm. uh meaning it was so short of a notice for me and then I had this mishap in in March that kind of sent me back a lot
0: mm-hmm.
3: um so what I'm nervous about is that I'm going to fall so far back from the pack that I can't mm. stick within it. And then I'm pushing really hard or I'm like pedaling really hard to, to maintain a certain threshold to keep up. That's yeah. that's what I'm nervous about. But I'm excited because it's my first race. Told, Bridget and I laugh about it because we said, what if we end up liking this? <laughs> Where is it going to take us? <laughs> is it going to take us like uh, there's this one uh, – I don't, she's not on Instagram, but she's a pro cyclist, uh, the first Af- uh, African American cyclist. I think her name was um, Aisha something. What Aisha McGowan? Yes, her, her. She's, she's on her, Instagram. Yeah. Yes, yes. So she's, that's her. She's our age, 30, well, mm-hmm. my age, like 35, and she's, mm-hmm love cycling and fellow okay over. that's our age it's fine <laughs> i'll cut that part i'll cut that part it's fine <laughs> i look good for this age you know yeah. so um but you know she she, she did amazing and she liked it and look where she is so not saying that i'm gonna be that but i might like racing that i probably want to continue and mm-hmm. see where it goes but we we shall see
1: uh i love that um yeah i think part of the reason i wanted to highlight this this uh, race that you have coming up is because I think for a lot of people, myself included, it was always like, yeah, I like riding, I'm not really that fast. So for recreation, uh, yeah, I like going for a long ride, but it's going to take me forever to do a long ride and blah, blah, blah. And, like, it just never occurred to me to, to race, mm. I guess. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that anyone can do it. Um, yeah. And Honestly,
3: anyone could do it. I've always yeah. loved being a part of a team. I always love sports. Uh, mm-hmm. It fits right up my alley, you know, um, I feel
1: like people don't talk enough about the fact that bike racing is a team sport. I've, yeah. i I educate people on that all the time. Cause I oh actually really enjoy watching.
0: I'm
3: sorry because cut you off, but I was I like, uh, YouTube's of, uh, you know, how to, how to be a better racer or how to mm-hmm. race certain category and so on and so forth and most of these are teams and did you know this like strategic type of things you have to do when you're in a team mm-hmm. like people will line up in like a, a certain line yeah so you have, like a sprinter in the back that you you're basically letting him draft you all the way until a certain lap so when you get to a certain lap he will move up and he will move forward and then when that last, last lap comes around he's just gunning it mm-hmm. I was like this is amazing I didn't know that that type of thing happens within the cycling world, you know? Yeah,
1: it's the same for the tour. Um, people don't realize, I mean, even running to a certain extent, there's a lot of strategy. Uh, if you watched, I always like watching the elite races for the marathon. I don't know if you got a chance to see them this year, but the women's race was fascinating because it was these two women coming up at the end, and it was one of them kept. Uh, doing a little sprint out front, and then the other one would slowly creep up and then come back together, and then she'd be behind, and then she'd sprint out again. And every time I watched it, I was like, Girl, you're just killing all of your energy coming up to the end of this. Like, don't, Boylston is longer than you think it is. And then <laughs> what it turned out was that, like, she was able to kind of do it in a way it was almost like she was testing to be able to, mm-hmm. how quickly could she go out and see if this person could catch up to her. And in the last like 200 meters, she just like Got not dropped her, but like, took a very assertive lead and because she was behind she could like start into her sprint before this person could even see and react to it and like i was just watching i
3: be like oh that was so smart that is um, so strategic i love yeah. it <laughs> so
1: but racing is the same thing and i like watching um like the tour for that reason because it's always the last 20 seconds last minute of the tour is fascinating exciting. get into race- you like the the miles leading up to that whatever sometimes the, and that's why they have all the sprints and the the uh mountain climbs so it's more interesting in between but yeah that last yeah, right. little bit when like you see the line and then you see them start to pull and then there's the one person who goes out for the sprint yes. but then it ends up not working out because they went too early And like you, you see it's him, really going. interesting he's
3: going he thinks he got it and then that last second somebody was just Phew.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. So insane. Um, but yeah, so I am really excited for this journey for you. We will follow up with Gabby and Bridget, um, who unfortunately couldn't come to the recording today, uh, on how it went. And I look forward to hearing about it because it has not happened yet at this point in time for me, but next time we talk, we'll, we'll go through
3: it. Can I just add a little note Mm -hmm. here? Um, we are trying to see how many women are interested in racing uh, we're trying to get a group of us together so uh, the coach uh, our coach Adam could volunteer his time and speak to some of us so any woman that is or anybody that is interested in racing in the near future, just contact us, go to the woman on Wheels page and send, send us a message and then Bridget Iojaddy will try mm-hmm. to respond to it and, and hopefully get a good traction, a good amount yeah. of. Women interested.
1: Yeah, that'd be really great. Feel free to either reach out to Randonista and I'll pass it on. Cause I talk to these ladies all the time or, um, yeah, go to the women on wheels, Boston page, yeah. um, and they'll be able to contact you with Gabby. Sure. Thank you so much. I am like yeah. I'm rooting for you. You're gonna, you're gonna do yeah. awesome. It's gonna be amazing.
0: Appreciate it. Um...
1: Today. I have a very exciting guest. Um, someone that I've been hearing a lot about, um, have met uh but I'm really bad at faces and names so I apologize for not super remembering it but um I am very excited to have a longtime cyclist and hopefully new riding buddy this summer Meg Cater on the the call <laughs> on the zoom with me today hi Meg how are you doing hey Laura, good I do remember you very well of course
4: because I met you at the nkt with, with Watson on your back mm-hmm. and you're a very remember, memorable person. So. It was the dog. It wasn't me. It was the yeah, dog. I mean, you know, you have a, you have a unique uh, companion.
1: <laughs> He's very helpful for, uh, getting me out of my introvertedness where I, I I'm an extroverted introvert where I like to do things and I like to go out and I like to hang out with my friends that I have, but I'm really bad at like, meeting new people without some sort of bridge. So if I go to a party alone, I'll just stand in the corner and not
0: talk to anybody. Well,
4: the cycling's been great for my social life. <laughs> yeah, right. Probably the only social, yeah. One of the consistent social outlets I've had in my life.
1: The, yeah. the flip side is the people who come up to me and then like do the little like head over and they're like, wait, where's Watson? I'm like, hi, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind I would say hi to him first too um but yeah I'm very excited to have you here uh this is episode 11 oh my goodness oh. can't believe it. I'm finally you know I'll, they'd say a lot of podcasts end around 10 episodes I'm breaking past oh, right. that point keep the threshold going threshold cross yeah, the threshold I'm um, glad
4: that I could be helpful in the threshold episode Yay. <laughs>
1: uh but tell the audience a little about yourself who are you what's your relationship to biking you know why did I want you on today
4: <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know but
1: <laughs> you might regret it after
4: we're done here <laughs> um well so I grew up in Mississippi which I don't know if you know that um I'm Mer- Meridian Mississippi yeah and uh I I guess so I was uh you know, tomboy, as they used to say, I more gender nonconforming, probably is what I would say at this point. But I, I, um, athletics was also a re- was always a really big outlet for me. I think, particularly as a, 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 I grew up kind of being groomed to be a very particular kind of kind of woman, you know. And um, in, in the South, gender roles are very core to the culture, um, and. I think the uh, athletics was really the place where I could be myself the most, especially, you know, as a young person. Um, and and cycling in particular, when I discovered it was kind of a, a bit of freedom for me, you know, uh, ride my bike around, not really have to deal with, with the social dynamics that I was um, expected to uphold. And
1: uh, how old are you and you? Yeah, well, I mean,
4: you know, I was like any prepubescent kid just riding your bike around right in the neighborhood mm-hmm. with other kids and I and that was fun um I started getting into cycling as a sport when I was 14 and my dad was a cyclist so I was lucky that um he kind of brought me in my dad's very and my both my parents were very very encouraging of me to do athletics um I think they recognized it was uh, an outlet for me so um so I started doing so I started road riding with my dad and kind of all the men, basically the adult men, the adult white men in my community that were riding at the time. Um, we would ride out to the naval, naval base um, and, and, and so on, uh, you know, after church <laughs> on Sundays, we had this regular ride we would do. And I just found it to be kind of very freeing for me uh, to be on the bike moving uh to be able to and then i kind of discovered a, a way to be social with people that worked for my brain you know and my my uh i come from a you know autism runs in my family adhd kind of we're kind of a nerd neurodivergent family so the <laughs> social and both and also the physical repetitive movement of cycling that really worked for me uh, so I started, and I was also a swimmer and, uh, I did, I did track and cross country. So by, by when I was 14, I started getting into road racing and then eventually I got into doing triathlons and, um, we didn't have any coaching except for my dad. He did his best. Um, and by the time I was 17, I, I was, uh, I was junior national triathlon champion. So I started doing more. And at that time there just weren't, there weren't a lot of of women, of girl, you know, girls doing triathlons at that level. So it wasn't like there was a lot of competition, but it was a something that I did. And, um, so that was a pretty big part of my kind of childhood, uh, was cycling. Um, and when I went to college, I kind of hit a pretty big social barrier, you know, like I, I went to Vanderbilt, I had a cross country Uh, you know, semi-cross-country, somewhat cross-country scholarship, I I really struggled with um, transitioning into college, and so I ended up dropping out of sports pretty much, and, and like, I couldn't do the um, sorority stuff, you know, like, I had, like I, I, you know, I come out of of a culture that, like, we actually had high school sororities. <laughs> oh wow! Was, you know, like dazed and confused. Like, like <laughs> I mean, it's like, my reality is probably something a lot of people on your podcast can't quite relate to. But, um, you know, I went to I went to public schools in Mississippi. Um, I, I had a, my my high school was about sixty percent black. Um, so I you know and and white people were even though it's um, the, the racial hierarchy and caste system is very indoctrinated into us and there's a lot of taboo around social relationships outside of school um, being on the track team was extremely meaningful for me because it, it was really kind of again it's like I struggled a lot with the social dynamics of my culture of kind of white women culture in the south and so you know kind of my track team was another big kind of uh, uh escaped from that so I bonded really a lot with my track team which was all black because that's how Mississippi is <laughs> you know and um so that that was uh and it, it, it's that's been an interesting thing for me to reflect on is just kind of the embrace of of of, of my teammates of me and how much more freedom I felt let's just say in a culture that didn't have those expectations of me it doesn't mean that like the women in that culture did also had expectations but it was just kind of a um something very different than what i was accustomed to the expectations of me in that setting you know they just allowed me to be there and embraced me in this like beautiful way because it was just so fun and free and we had this team that we were on together and so uh there were certain kind of like road that you, you recognize when you're older. So when I went to Vanderbilt, I didn't, I couldn't really do the culture that, you know, that I had been groomed for we'll say. Um, And so I dropped out of everything and I basically got into doing outdoor skills. So I became a wilderness skills instructor, got in, you know, I just kind of liked athletics. So at that point I got into doing river guiding and I became a river guide, dropped out of Vanderbilt, went to the West coast as a guide whitewater rafting, the deep Canyon and, and, uh, whitewater rafting guiding for the next seven years. I still biked, but it was, mu- it was just for commuting. Um, and then it really wasn't until i I, I moved around a lot because of that. Um, eventually had a, had a kid. Um, so when I moved to this region, so the Northeast, um, I moved to Boston eventually for just a, a job and, and to be closer to family. Um, I got back into cycling, um, in, when I was in the Boston area, and that was about seven years ago. So, um, and I got back into recreational cycling, group cycling, you know, as a social outlet, I was really looking for something to find friends basically. And so I got involved in, um, some of the local cycling clubs, you know, in the region, Ride Studio Cafe was a big part, which is in Lexington. It's a big part of um, getting into it. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, I, they still do stuff. It's just not. The shop isn't there anymore though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's,
4: it, it, is, it is. Um, but so, and they got me into doing gravel and mixed train cycling. So I was like a big roadie, I really, and a commuter is all I really ever did. Um, and I got my first gravel bike and I remember very well. <laughs> um, so that was about seven years ago, like I said, um, and it's been kind of a really interesting journey since then, I think. Um, and so, uh, maybe I'll let you
1: <laughs> ask. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm learning um, all kinds of things today. I, yeah, it's really interesting. Cause I think a lot of what, I hear people talk about when I interview them is really about this community. And it's, it's a hundred percent true. Like I have my, my bike community and my bike friends, but I've also made like a bunch of friends in the last two years of all these people entering the cycling community and kind of, you know, you're on the, uh, uh, WhatsApp group with me. Like I've, you know, now have yeah. this new group of friends that are all brought to me from cycling, which is amazing. Yeah. So,
4: yeah. So how I got involved in that group is, is, a I would say a testament to my journey and to where I am now, because they were oh. a big part. Of it. So women on wheels. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I was just going to say the, the group time as women on wheels. I just
4: wanted to yeah.
1: make sure that got said,
4: go ahead. Yeah. Women on wheels. Um, yeah. So I, like I said, I got involved with, um, more group cycling. Um, and I, my, my partner, who I think an interesting part of kind of, I think we all, so having grown up in Mississippi, gone through the process of actually learning about the real history, because, <laughs> you know, most of us are ignorant. If you're white in the South, at least you're, you're there's a lot of taboo still around really facing the history of our communities. And I grew it's up problem.
0: in
1: suburban Maine and rural Pennsylvania. And yeah. you were talking about the makeup of your high school, both of my school, like, there were yeah. like, as many black kids as there were Jewish kids. So there really was no Jewish. Are you, are you Jewish? I, I'm Jewish. Yeah. So no. there's like, there, you know, it just really didn't exist in the school system there. So I, I oh, was extremely yeah. sheltered growing up. So I get that well
4: and it's it, well and it's interesting for me because it's like I grew up in a very diverse environment but the the racial hierarchy the historical racial hierarchy that that's kind of been that 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 is the result of what we have now it was very present and 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 we couldn't talk about it. It wasn't really something we could we could address as and so I think the process of kind of of personally understanding the reality of but and of course I grew up in Meridian which is um, you know, most recently, the nineteen you know, the 60s civil rights movement, the the voting right, the freedom summer was all centered there. Yeah, I mean, I think that my journey of kind of understanding my history, because white people in the South, like I actually have a much more diverse background than I ever realized, just like I come. um, And, you know, Meridian itself actually has a pretty um, interesting culture of, (laughs) <laughs> it, it, you know, it, actually, my great-great-grandfather was Jewish. He helped to kind of build a great... Actually, my grandfather's grandfather was a Jewish immigrant that helped to, to build up Meridian after the Sherman burnt it down in the Civil War. And so there's a large Jewish community that built the town. Uh, that, and in a lot of ways, it was more progressive for a time. But, but, the, but the reality of dealing with, um, you know, systemic, uh, you know, the racial caste system... Really, um, it, I think it's still something we're, we're obviously it's still something we're reckoning with. Um, and the South is just in a very strong relief, you know, particularly in a place like where I grew up. But I, after moving around, you know, you see that, that the remnants of it all over the country. And I think I was very naive. I thought going out to Oregon and the Northeast would northwest would be like this land of of you know freedom from, from racial and gender uh, you know <laughs> oppression or whatever. And, you know, it really, it really wasn't. I landed in rural areas in Oregon and almost immediately saw, you know, Confederate flags even in my neighbor's home. And I was just very confused about what the heck. So it's been a journey to actually understand all of that for me. And so it's, it's a big core part of my, I guess, maturity as an adult and emotional maturity, my understanding of my own family's history and everything. So um back to cycling though, but, but cycling was always this um, place where, you know, it's been very white dominant, male dominant sport forever. Right. And that was something I was brought into. And I did well because I have this kind of people are always like, you're so great for a girl. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, show those guys up. You know, it was always like that my whole life, show those guys up, you know, and, and it was, and, you know, when I was younger, I've had a, I've had a very,
1: very big sorry i've had a very big chip on my shoulder since i was a kid i completely understand that right, especially right. when boys sports always dominated over girls sports in high school and like
0: yeah we were always
1: second fiddle to everything even when we had right. better records oh he's trying yeah. Anyway, anyway
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah exactly and, and so cycling was not a girl's sport like i knew zero zero women that cycled you know and so I was always the only woman and so I got pretty used to that same thing as river guiding and the kind of guiding that I did this kind of deep canyon like always the only woman rarely meet other women and they were always like me and they were always like really not accustomed to having other women around. And so you know, it was an interesting journey to kind of start grappling with my, my gender and, and what that meant about my ego and all that stuff. <laughs> and so over time, I really started um, really craving diversity, right? You know, and I think this is true for a lot of white people. They're like, I really wish we had more diversity in our sport. <laughs> and so we do all these things to try to make it more welcoming or something like that. But over time, you know, when I moved out of the South, so I grew up in a place where I was a white person that had a lot of poverty around me, both white, you know, of, of all races and also um, a, a lot of diversity. And then I went to places that were predominantly white that had very few non-white people. And then I would meet the very few non-white people. And, and I would get to understand their experience of being a, you usually like the only non-white person. Mm-hmm in a space right and their experience of that and kind of like what it meant for them to be welcomed into that space and their experience of that and um and so and so I I kind of well I mean it's not that we don't want to welcome make you know the spaces that are traditionally all white or traditionally all men more welcoming to people that are not of that like women and but we definitely want to do that and people are working on that but over time I started realizing that that you know I really wanted to be a part of a group that was led by women of color basically and we can get into why that is because it it, both for both for just gendered you know like we're talking about intersectional experiences you know if it's 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 difficult for white men to change their culture to accommodate people they they can't literally don't cannot relate to what might be even welcoming or not welcoming, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so uh, I got, and so at a certain point I started looking for groups that I could, that would be welcoming to me, you know, that I could make friends there. And and so I ended up meeting eventually. And at, at first I did that through Run run Cruise, because that was kind of the most, in Boston, that was the most kind of, uh, you know, really strong leadership, really, really focused on creating a space for people of color in a sport that's been traditionally dominated by white people. And so I met Leandrew and then which is unnamed run crew and then Pioneers Run crew and and um through other friends like because because you know this is kind of a conversation that'd been going on other friends that were um that were uh, people of color in traditionally white spaces and so I got invited to those um, and eventually, I met Liz Rock, who became a close friend of mine, and and then and and then also Beo, and um, so the, the leaders of that would would basically eventually form Trailblazers. So I was there for the first Trailblazers. Um, you know, Francis and, and Beo and 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 Liz just became the. I, I just really uh, became very. Uh, I don't know, just. just loved what they were doing you know and they were so uh you know it's not like they knew everything they were they were really just trying to figure it out but but and then watching them kind of figure out how to deal with like people that didn't identify as just women and how welcoming they were to going oh okay we need to we need to make this group welcoming for them and and how they were actually doing something in a way that the men weren't i'll say just you know and no, no fault of theirs, but the, because these women had these very intersectional experiences, they naturally were being much more open to,
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know, these these kind of other intersectional identities, including mine. You know, and so I became much more comfortable being like openly bisexual, you know, being like, I'm bi, which I'd never done before, you know, it's like, uh, or, and being like, I'm gender non-conforming and, and they're like, great, you know, and they just were like, That's let's awesome, go for you a know? run. <laughs> nice, you know? And so it was just, it's just, you know, and it's a weird thing because, you know, if you're, your own identity so feels so deep and, you know, like it's going to be rejected if you're somebody like me that grew up kind of queer in a culture that was extremely rigid in gender roles and all that. Um, and, and just having a place for people just really allow you to be who you are, even if they're like still working it out, you know, it's not like this is something we've all figured out. So, but I did find that that particular space had the most, uh, freedom for what I was looking for, what, what their intentions were trying to do, you know? Um, and so, and so I met Yadi through them. And it ended up going to the first women on wheels, um, event that Yachty mm-hmm. put together. And then the rest is kind of history. They just really were, let me be their friend. You know? Aww, and I it, love that. Yeah. And so, um, and you it, were, well, yeah. And,
1: and then you ended up getting involved in the infamous century that I've now talked to Diary and Liz about on this podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So yeah. I mean, so I, I'm really love creating r- routes and I love maps. <laughs> I'm not great at ride organizing though. Like I'm not a great organ- event organizer. I, that's not something my brain does well. <laughs> and so, um, but I can, I love to, I like leading rides and I like kind of helping people, you know, and whatever, you know? So, um, it was a great pairing because Yachty and Liz and Francis and and they're, they're so good at event organizing and bringing people together. And like, and so they just let me kind of do what I could do well, which is plan a route and ride the route, keep the pace going, you know, keep the pace, like what we want, making sure everybody's kind of with us checking it, you know, it's like those things I do well. Mm-hmm. Um, they planned all the they planned the support vehicles, um, and so it was a real group effort, but, you know, it allowed me to kind of bring the things that I'm good at to, to the group. And, um, and, and then, you know, it, I could, and, and it, I thought it was like this, they called me up one day, literally FaceTime me, they were all on this and they're like, Hey, you want to do it? D- do you want to write a century? And I was like, you sure? I, you know, so like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Can we train? Can I train? Because I didn't know why they're asking me if, if I would write a are we I was like next
1: like, weekend a couple of months from now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and so it was it seemed extremely ambitious to me. Yeah, but you know, yeah. those women are just so ambitious. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so we put together a training plan, you know, and it probably was a little overly ambitious in a lot of ways. And some of us didn't finish, but it mm-hmm. still was like this, um. That had more to do with the weather, though, than the the weather was insane, and they yeah. still wanted to do it. It was like yeah. a storm. We, we literally rode through a tropical storm.
1: Oof. No, thank you.
4: <laughs> but you know, it's just the determination of you know, it's just it. So anyway, it was it was just a really bonding experience, you know, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. So um, which those things tend to be, which is great about you know, um, so I you know, so what we're doing now. So I, I ended up moving away from, so I have a I have a kid who's autistic and um, in college. So I'm kind of like similar, you know, I know that first year of college because for people like me that are neurodivergent, gender, you know, all that, um, going to college can be a tricky time. You know, even though high school is very difficult and college can be better, it's also a tricky transition. Plus we've been in a pandemic for a couple of years. So I decided to move out, to cl- be close to where they are, I live about 20 minutes from the campus. But and it was a good decision because it's been great for me to be able to just be there when they needed uh, support. You know, almost done with freshman year.
0: Yeah. So, um,
4: you know, I decided to kind of prioritize my kid, move out here um, there, and and I so now I'm in East Hampton. There's a big cycling community here. East turns Hampton out. is beautiful yeah and you know and it's and 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 so because there's and there's a lot of you know progressive white people in this region that really do want to see more diversity in cycling however like we all fall into this trap of like thinking that if we just make if we're just friendly and we just you know that it's just going to somehow magically
0: Mm -hmm.
4: i don't know what we think (laughs) but and so what and so i've been talking with with yadi and liz and um about and Francis, about how can we kind of seed what's happening in Boston in this region? Because there's, there, you know, Holyoke, there, there, it, Holyoke and Springfield both have large communities of people of color. There are, there's cycling, but it's just like there's this divide. And the, the divide is really based on the, you know, history. People don't realize redlining, housing segregation, all that stuff affects the Northeastern ways. And, you know, people just honestly just don't really connect the dots between, you know, what they consider the, you know, why things are the way they are and what might be the solutions to really creating, because what it is, is we have to create new cultural spaces, Mm -hmm. right? We need new cultural spaces that are really, you know, led by people that know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of cooking up a way to exceed women on wheels here. We have our first kind of, she should come out for, we're, we're going to meet in June. Um, they're going to come stay at my house. I have, you know, oh, I would love so that. we're going to do ride right out here mm-hmm. and, and kind of try to figure out how we can, re, you know, bring, like I said, kind of seed what they're doing out here because it is just such a beautiful thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women are finding it, you know, like I did in a lot of ways when I was younger, is a, a space where they can be much more free and, and, and also the health benefits. It's just, you know, there's so many things about what this group is doing, you know, so you have your health benefits of, of riding a bike,
0: mm-hmm. you have
4: your social benefits of, of, of having a community you care about, and you have your, personal benefits of being able to kind of really be who you are in a way that maybe you can't as freely in other spaces maybe you can't as freely in your workspace Mm -hmm. or even in your family you know what it is so um i I, so i'm super excited about about that i mean it's it's um i think that's how change happens really it's like you know we're we're we all want to we all want things to change quickly and and we have to fight for immediate change but then we also gotta recognize these cultural spaces that are mm-hmm. uh, what needs to happen right now. And the time we are in, you know?
0: Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And, and this concept, unsurprisingly, it comes up a lot, this idea of community and community organizers. I was talking a lot in the last couple of episodes with um, Saskia. I don't know if you know Saskia, but she does a lot of organizing. In the boston area um specifically around cannabis uh but she was a bike mechanic for a while yeah i do i I do yeah yeah and just the this idea like we just need more organizers um the the part of the problem right now is there's you know a small handful of people trying to do all of the work and that's just exactly. and and it is all
4: and that's the thing it's exhausting for them too and so it's like how can how can we
1: we encourage this next you know, generation of people to come, and and yeah. Jay and Liz, they're part of that. Of like, I I kind of think of Yari as like kind of the next wave, whether she knows it or not. Of you think, organ- you think of Yari as the next wave? The next wave of organizers. Like, she yeah, kind yeah. started this thing in the last two years, Um uh, and you know, yeah. I want to. I just want to see that that continue and to make space for people to feel like they can do that. I know sometimes. Um, you know, uh, I am, a I still call myself a Boston bike party organizer, even though we haven't done oh, the ride I in almost that. two years, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but people will come to us and be like, Oh, is this going to conflict? Is this okay? Have we, and for other rides that I organize, like, Oh, yeah. we might be doing like, I think last year we were planning the Halloween ride and my nonprofit was also planning like on a different day, a different Halloween ride. And I was like, who cares? Yeah. Let's all do it. There should be more yeah. things like
4: Not more but- things. Yeah. More People riding bikes, more bikes on the road, more infrastructure, you know, all, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm a big fan of electric
1: bikes I know they're kind of controversial
4: because we need more accessibility. You mm-hmm. know, we need, we need it. We need infrastructure in places that have traditionally not had cycling infrastructure, which is generally, I spend a lot of, of color, you know?
1: Yeah. I spend a lot of time on next door and these people that's just so <laughs> Oh, it's so frustrating because their comments are always like, well, what about disabled people who can't drive cars? And we're like, yeah, why don't you who's not disabled get off or differently abled? I should say, get off the road and go ride a bike so that those people have space to drive their car if they need to like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) stop clogging the road for them. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I get very frustrated about that, but every time there's, you know, a proposition for like a new Bus lane. They're like, well, we need better infrastructure first, but this isn't the way to do it. And it's like, well, then what is it? Like, we're trying to put a bus lane in so that you can switch to a bus instead of taking your car. And they're like, well, wow, but the bus lane is always empty. Why can't we drive our cars in it? Like, it's supposed to be empty because the buses move through efficiently. Like, that's how it works. <laughs> um, so it's just I get very frustrated sometimes listening to those conversations. Well, not listening, yeah. reading, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot of progressive people who will either say I bike or I do this, or I think we should have this, just not this way. And you're like, we got to yeah. do something. We got like, to your oh. point about short-term and long-term gains. Like we yeah. gotta, we gotta move forward somehow.
4: Well, it's interesting because I, I was riding with a guy who just rode from LA on route 66. He had like a cafe, just like, just, like this, like sponsorship and yeah. he was out, out here and we were riding and, and he's talking about, you know, you're a, because because you, you think of places like Holland and that mm-hmm. that have all these great cycling centric cultures and he was like that wasn't always the case we actually we act it was actually an intentional thing that happened in the 70s that mm-hmm. the was rebuilt around cycling because because of their recognizing that it was better for people and and that doesn't mean there's not cars it just means that they, they that that cars were not the central thing and the only thing which is like mm-hmm. this. the U.S. and so he was really lamenting how how you know rigidly car centric the US infrastructure is built around and how it doesn't have to be that way, but it does have to be intentionally change. And you know, so that's something that I think we actually are starting to really fight for in, mm-hmm. in, in especially in urban centers. Um, but 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 again, it's like the places where it's needed the most is off, you know, community of colors where people really haven't historically had infrastructure that meets Mm -hmm. and you know, it's like, I mean, we can go into like (laughs) the need to drive a car to work,
0: Mm -hmm.
4: you know, and, and having to, to often go longer places if you don't have as much choice. I mean, there's a lot of like equity and infrastructure stuff that I think the cycling conversation opens up and it should open up equity and infrastructure conversation, not a necessarily everybody needs to ride a bike, you know, right.
1: right? I I often try to I, I did, I did say those words, but really what I meant was like, we need this multimodal because it's to your point yeah. of equity, you know, when we think about bus lanes, like why should a person sitting on a bus be forced to sit in traffic? It, it like, it just doesn't make any sense. Why can't those people have just as much right to get to where they're going? And I think about that a lot with my bike, just on a personal level of like, yeah. you're so mad at me for being on the road. I'm just trying to get somewhere. I actually... A better yeah. version of this. And then we'll go into my last question. Cause we're running up on time a little bit, but I was crossing the street with my dog on foot in a crosswalk traffic stopped for me. And the f- fourth car back now, keep in mind, it's not like I had hit a pedestrian light or anything, just need to cross the street. And then traffic could, could keep, could keep moving right. Fourth car back, not realizing that traffic was just stopped for a pedestrian went into the bike lane, and was trying to go around all these cars on the right. And so I kind of like startled walking my dog across the street, paused and like, looked at this car. It was just like, why are you more important than these other three cars in front of you? Like, what did you think was happening that you needed to go around all of this traffic that was only stopping for like 30 seconds. Like what bothers me is this mentality of like, we can't just. Yeah. You're more important than everybody else. And we're going to go around this thing. Cause we don't know why we should be stopped when everybody else is, to- I don't know. That's it's a know. very, it's kind of a, a slightly forced metaphor, but that's like what it makes me think of. Well, the
4: entitlement we're all kind of yeah. taught as drivers in this country that, you know, we're entitled to get on the road, go as fast as we want to, to get where we're going. And mm-hmm. and we're these individual bodies moving you know, and, and, you know, especially with the pandemic, I'm sure, you know, that road rage and, and mm-hmm. all of that, and, and it, you know, is, is getting much higher. So I do think we're at kind of a critical point where it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous right now,
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know, the, the, so something's got to give. And I do, so, so, so I feel like, like many civil rights movements, and I would mm-hmm. say that the equity and infrastructure, getting back to right, that yeah, civil rights movement it benefits more people than the, you know, often the people that are opposed to it still benefit from the the things that are won. And I think that, that, you know, at, like car drivers, you know, I drive a car too, will benefit from equity and infrastructure in a way that, but it will take a shift in thinking and understanding. And so, you know, I, there's many layers to it, right. Yeah. Cycling and, um, so at least for me, and and, it, and I think that that's really what I want people to start thinking about how their participation in these spaces really is much bigger than their own, you know, interest in a hobby yeah. or a sport or whatever, you know.
1: Okay. So to round out this conversation, um, I like to ask one last question, which is that, uh, you know, we took, and, and you have done a really nice job of telling me uh, more beyond just cycling in your background, but I feel like. Sometimes people look at, you know, organizers or whoever it is, or even just like anywhere I go, I end up being the bike person. I have other interests. I have other things I do in my life. So what, (laughs) what do you like to do beyond biking or even just like, well, I won't limit outdoorsy stuff. Like I love camping. So what do what do you like to do beyond biking and and running? Maybe we'll say.
4: I don't really run as much anymore. Um, but I do walk my dog a lot and, and hike. And I, you know, I, I did that. I did the Appalachian trail. Uh, I did, a, I solo hiked the Appalachian trail when I was oh, 20, wow. like the lower from Millicola Falls, Georgia, up to the Nana outdoor center. And that was a big kind of formative wow. experience for me. Um, and so I hiking has been a big one. I, I already mentioned river running and I did guide. I was lucky. I've been so lucky in the outdoor space um, to be able to see places. I mean, I've guided around all around this country, Mm -hmm. um, even in Nepal a bit uh, when I was younger, but, um, so those things are still a big part of me. I do love to be on rivers, um, any way that I can water in general. Uh, I love swimming. Um, I'm a designer. So for work, a UX designer, um, I've been a journalist in the the past. I like to write a lot. And then I'm, I also am a painter. So I oh fun. What type of painting? Well, I forever, I just did. uh, I grew up one of my other escapes as a kid was I grew up with a a paint, an art instructor across the street from my house that just taught kids uh, art, you know, and, and she had this big studio and, as long as I was willing to let her preach to me about Jesus for hours, I could stay in there forever. And, oh, and you have a higher meet. tolerance
1: <laughs> than I do. <laughs> well, you know,
4: I was, I was into Jesus as a kid now. <laughs> um, okay. yeah. uh, so, you know, I uh, it, that was a sanctuary for me, um, mm-hmm. to be able to just, just paint and be. And um, so I, I, but so she very traditional kind of style of teaching where you know you learn sketching and then pastels and still life and and then you started studying the painting masters that were European masters and and you know very old school traditional teaching style for art. And so you you grad you graduated to uh, we didn't she didn't teach acrylics. Great because um so oil painting and then the the last one was watercolor. And so when you got to watercolor that was kind of like she didn't go beyond that and and watercolor was you know much less I also have an environmental science but degree it was my undergrad degree and so I was really wanted a, a low impact art form low environmental and so I stayed with watercolors for most of my life because I could travel with them and paint the scenes that I you know wherever I was so very cool. um but i recently've gotten into doing natural oils so i okay. bought the, my house a house for the first time in my life mm-hmm. a little house and it has room for a studio which is something i've never had before and so i'm getting into doing oil painting now and without using the kind of harsh chemicals that typically so i'm doing kind of nat- natural oil painting i guess i would say
1: that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I my art form a lot of time is photography. I got I finally yeah. got a nice camera this year, so I've been practicing that and editing and whatnot. So, I love it. Cool. Good creative outlet. Uh, well, yeah. Meg, it has been a pleasure getting to know you better. I am sure we'll you ride are. together this summer, um, especially as we <laughs> continue to. So I'm gonna ing- be there the, circles. The
4: yes, huh? yes. So I'm gonna be there for the opening Women on Wheels May first.
0: Oh, not, kind I of
4: won't I'll be yeah. teaching okay. that
1: day. Okay. I will. What do you teach? Uh, bike, bike instruction on the weekend. So I do mm-hmm. like rodeos and learn to rides and stuff like that.
0: So oh, I'm really? okay.
4: that I need to give some people your way. I have actually just met someone in, the other day that was looking for it. That's an adult looking to ride, to learn to ride. And then I do run in people quite often lately that yeah. are, you know, particularly women that are adults Absolutely. that want to like ride
1: a bike, you know, Feel free to send them my way. I'm a, a LEAGUE certified instructor, so I, I'm happy to help them with that. Awesome. I will. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Well, that concludes a deeper look. Thank you, Meg, for being here. We'll see you in the future. Okay. Thanks, Laura. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome back, Gabby. Uh, thank you for coming back on the show coming back uh staying on the zoom with me to do the game today. Um, in honor of your journey into racing, which I know you're going to love and, um, get addicted to, and then suddenly have too many really nice bikes and too many weekends training and racing. Um, I wanted to play a fun game where we talk about some fun facts about racing.
3: Let's do it. Do I get like a helpline? Do I get like call somebody for no. help? Uh, so
1: I you can you can see if I'll help you but uh, I'm not going to give anything other than hints just so you know Uh, but yeah in um, 2012 so this is it's the facts in here are fun and not outdated. I glanced through them, but it's an old article. Uh, team USA Mm -hmm. did 12 fun facts. You might not know about cycling. Um, not all of these necessarily translate into trivia. So we're not going to do 12. We'll probably do about six of these, but I thought there were some really fun ones in here. Okay. So number one, um, this one's a little obscure. Let's see if you can get it based on the, the description. So the, the fun fact was listed. You can call us lazy. Cyclists uh, are often compared to this type of dog in the sporting world because we train really hard, but then we do nothing for the rest of the day. Um, and so my director once told me, you have to rest as hard as you train. And I take that advice very seriously. So what, what type of dog do you think they're referring to? German Shepherd. No. Shepard. Uh, no, think, think uh, in terms of a dog that's known for racing. A Greyhound. Greyhound, that is correct, ding, <laughs> ding, ding. Um, yes, yeah, cyclists should be thought of as Greyhounds. You race really hard and then you just chill out. And that's super true because I could do a charity ride For an hour, and then be like, "I'm good. I did my thing for the day. I'm going to drink three beers." That's perfect. (laughs) Why not?
3: (laughs) I mean, I have a beer in front of me right now. I would too, but you know, I kind of go with train. It's (laughs) like
1: you, yeah. You are actually going to continue writing after this. I'm going to stay up for like a half an hour more and then go to sleep. So, (laughs) 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 congratulations. Question number one solved. Question number two, the Uh, Cycling was one of the first nine original sports of the Olympics, which took place. The very first Olympics took place in Athens, Greece in 1896, um, because as we know, the Olympics have been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. However, some years previous to that point uh, was actually the first recorded bicycle race so even though you know it was part of the olympics but it had been happening for some time outside of paris france surprise surprise france being a huge hotbed for uh cycling activity how many years previous was that uh and you can ask for multiple choice if you would
3: like yes please multiple choice because i have no idea i would throw two three years prior but you know give me some choices here girl so
1: your choices are Two or three years prior, uh 28-ish years prior, or 52 years prior.
3: I'm gonna go in my intuition that says hmm, 20 years prior.
0: Ding ding ding
3: ding ding. It was 28 years earlier that they recorded
1: the first cycling race. Well done.
3: Wow. You're
1: crushing really? it right 20, now. 20 years? Eight? It was around so
3: 1870 like tw- something
1: it'd be, uh, so 1896, it would have been like the 1860s oh when the first,
3: God. yeah. First recorded cycling race. I wonder what the recording looks like. I'm going to Google that later. You
1: know that, right? Well, no, it's not, it's not like a visual <laughs> I know, recording. No,
3: like, I mean, like, <laughs> pause. I mean, let me, re- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I just out- want to make sure we're at the same page. <laughs> no, no, we are definitely on the same page here. <laughs> I meant like, I want to see who it was, <laughs> what was recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you imagine. <laughs> it was like, no, 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 little i drawing it out.
1: <laughs> i the whole thing the whole time. Um, excellent. This one, I'm a big fan of this fun fact. So this okay. one's called We Eat. Uh, listeners at home, they know, because I feel like I talk about it constantly, how much I love food.
3: I love
1: food too, girl. <laughs> you can tell hello. <laughs> so this one, uh, you know, the the things that I just want to point out. This is a direct quote from the author. People always want to know if we have an eating disorder, referring to himself as a cyclist, uh, because we're so small. But you have to understand in this sport, riders are considered big if they are over 150 pounds, like rude, but that's besides right, the point.
3: Exactly when was this written (laughs) 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 1868.
1: he goes on to say but trust me we eat uh it is not uncommon to have days where you eat x amount of calories and still go to bed hungry because you've run out of food or simply can't eat anymore so the question is how many calories is that for a cyclist
3: Mm -hmm. 1200 Oh, that's a little high. (laughs) Oh, oh, so low. Oh my God. It's a little lower than that. 500. Oh, Uh, you're supposed to give me multiple choice. Only if you ask for it.
1: Oh, so for a point of reference for you, when I do like Noom, for example, I briefly had that without doing any exercise, my baseline for how many calories I should have in a day is like 12,000 or sorry, not 12,000, 12, <laughs> so many calories, 1200 calories, right? 1,200. Um, so i just want to baseline that of like, if I do no exercise, that's how many calories I should eat in a day. It's normally higher than that um, maintain. Maintain. to maintain. Right. Uh, so, well, that was actually to, to, Try and lose a little weight, so it's probably oh, under yeah, well, to maintain. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting two in the weeds on this. So right. your options are okay: two thousand calories, five thousand calories. Or 12,000
3: calories. <laughs> 12,000 calories for the win. <laughs> no, we already established that's wrong. I, <laughs> I just like the
1: ridiculous number. I know. It's so high. That would, God, that'd be so much. Like you'd 10, be 000, housing and
3: like McDonald's. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesus. I, I, I'm afraid to say, but it can't be 5,000. Five to 6,000
1: calories when you're Thousand. at the peak. Of your training.
3: That's Cut so many out. calories. What were you eating? Pasta? Like <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So much pasta. Oh my goodness. Five the King Majesty, you just <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, um Let's see. Twelve thousand gives you a card, carderac- uh, cardiac. <laughs> um
1: So this one's interesting. This one's called money, money, money. I just like, they came up with very clever titles for all of them. Many of you might've heard of a baseball player named Babe Ruth. Uh, For those of us in the Boston area, we know him as uh, the defector who left Boston, created a curse and went to the Yankees. Um, But that is not the point of this question. Okay. Your question is. At that time was cycling. And I'm going to give you the multiple choice. I won't make you ask for it. Was cycling were cyclists higher paid than baseball players, um, not as highly paid as baseball players, but one of the highest paid athletes or, uh, were they, you know, considered like pretty good, but not super high paid. Those okay. are your, your, kind of levels. Cause I don't have specific numbers here.
3: Okay. Um, so either they were paid higher, the baseball players played less than baseball players or were equal pay. Right. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Cyclists. Wow. Are these, is this supposed to be a fun fact? hmm if it's a fun fact, I would say more than, more than
0: that. A, that's a good
1: way to,
3: to suss that out. You know? um,
1: so the way it's written is before Babe Ruth joined the Yankees, cyclists were the highest paid athletes. So I think when Babe Ruth got onto the team, he pushed the needle just right. above so, it. He gave, he gave the views. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> gave but it's. The way they phrase it here is it's easy to forget that cycling actually started out in first place in the world of sports. Um, and so, you I'm know,
3: eighteen sixty eight year girl, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs>
1: uh, this person says, of course, for me is the love of riding, the freedom of being out in the open and just enjoying turning my pedals over. But let's be real. If we can make money off of it, wouldn't that be really great too? <laughs> no, get As a $15,000? That, and that
0: be- last...
3: Yeah, that last part is not in the. I added that. So that that works too. (laughs) But I I agree with you, you know. Right. Or at least get a $15,000 bike and, you know, allow yourself to have 12,000 calories a day. That'd be phenomenal. 12,000
1: calories. I still, there's this uh, news article where. Oh gosh. I forget which pro athlete it was. It was like Chris Froome or something. Someone who's like done the tour multiple times. Uh, maybe it was like Mark Cavendish, not really important to the overall story, but like a big name in the world of cycling in the last like 10 years, Mm -hmm. uh, was out for a bike ride, uh, (laughs) wherever they were training and some car kind of road raged and like ran them off the road. And so they ended up, getting off of their bike and being totally safe, but the bike was destroyed. And all I could think other than how awful of this person to do this, but all I could think in my head was like, wow, that car driver really does not understand how expensive that bicycle
3: is that they just destroyed. Cause that's gonna ruin their insurance. Yeah. Listen, 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 <laughs> when my bike, mind you, my bike is, you know, it's a pretty decent bike. Yeah. But any fall I get on my bike, I don't check to see if there's injuries on me. I check to see if there's injuries on my bike. Yes. Once I know my bike's okay, then I'll check to see if I'm okay. <laughs> Only 100%. I- right? Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. When I explained this to like my non-cycling friends, they're like, really? You're not going to check on your health? I'm like, I am, but I got to check, make sure my bike's okay.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I had just finished building my touring bike. It was like one of the first rides I ever took it out on. And I was on the bike path of all places. This is why I tell people helmets are important. Cause I was mm-hmm. literally on the bike path where you think, Oh, whatever. It's fine. I'll be fine. The person in front of me, it was like a freak thing. They only had a front brake. They hit it really hard, went over their handlebars. And I couldn't stop fast enough to not like run into yeah. the situation that was happening in front of me. Like mm. it was, you know, we were all on a line, not riding fast. It was like a, a leisurely ride. And that's the other thing too. Like I, we weren't even going that fast, but it all happened so quickly. There's nothing could be done. Before. Mm-hmm. I went from being on my bicycle to the next thing I remember flat out, just like holding my body up above this other person. So I wasn't like somehow I'd fallen on top of them and was trying not to like put my full weight onto their body onto the ground. And then, uh, you know, people picked me up and my first instinct was, oh my God, my bike. I was like, <laughs> I'm fine. Like, <laughs> like I had the same thing where I was like my brand new bike it's custom painted like I gotta go make sure it's okay I understand Laura I feel that okay
3: um okay, <laughs> okay. so wait, we're wait, gonna paint too it was huh? your bike okay I said my bike my bike was custom okay. paint bike yeah was okay.
1: it was okay <laughs> um all right so we'll end with this fun fact because this is just I think you'll enjoy this one so location 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 The cycling venue of the 2012 Games will take place in the velodrome, located at the northern end of the Olympic Park, and can hold up to 6,000 spectators. Because of its distinctive shape, the building, which was the first venue in the park to be completed, has been dubbed this type of chip. Um, And that is for you to name. What is the type of chip that maybe think about chips that have very distinctive shapes. Um, and it was, uh, it officially opened on February as the, uh, UCI, which is like the United Cycling Institute or something track cycling world cup classics name that chip. Okay, yeah, that was a lot. Let me let me break it down for you. So <laughs> the the building in which a velodrome type uh, race, so generally bikes that would be like a single track mm-hmm. velodrome, um, has a very distinctive shape, and that shape looks like a very popular type of chip. Name that a chip. Titanic chip. C H. C-H. Oh,
3: G- oh, I heard shit. <laughs>
1: hey, it's we're on Zoom. Friends, we're on zoom if this happens i get it ch uh it's a potato chip
3: chip Chip. a dorito a Lay's. (laughs) keep
1: going (laughs) keep going keep going
3: think of a a
1: a chip that is known for a very specific shape that might be
3: oval like like all chips are oval like
1: you're gonna you're gonna know what i mean when you get this chip though i'm
3: gonna be like oh my god am i yeah. I'm thinking Lays, I'm thinking like, um, Jesus Christ, Doritos, uh,
1: Frito Chips. Once you pop the fun, don't stop. And that is not sexual. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, that
1: could be that could. I've um, always thought it sounded sexual. It is not. It is in their commercials. Uh, People at home are screaming at you right now.
3: I know, I know. Okay, give me... Um. Oh, Pringles.
0: Pringles!
3: Ding, 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 ding. You
1: got it right. Even though you guessed like five other things first. People's like, come on. Come on, right. Gabby, you got this. I blame myself for the dogs barking because I said, ding, ding, ding. They, they bark every time there's a, a, a doorbell. So that was probably my fault. <laughs> no worries. But you did it. You won the game. Yay. Yeah. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. Um, again race is coming up in one week so everybody out there have good vibes this uh this recording is going to come out in it like a day so there's plenty of time to think those good vibes for her so thank you guys thank you thank you laura for having me and we will catch up very soon to see how it went we'll talk later bye thanks keby that's a wrap on episode 11 folks Uh, I just want to have some quick reminders on upcoming events and rides. This is not an all-inclusive list, just highlighting a few things. So make sure to check the show notes because I'm going to have a couple of links in there um, in case there's anything that I missed. But we are coming up very rapidly on May, and May is, of course, the uh, National Bike Month and the Bay State Bike Month. So make sure to check for lots and lots of events that are happening. So the first one I wanted to give a brief reminder about is the fact that the Ride for Black Lives is coming back for 2022. That is happening August thirtieth at 10 a.m. at Franklin Park, and I will be there, and I look forward to seeing everybody at that ride. Um, And then the next one I want to highlight is Women on Wheels. They are doing a kickoff event for the season. It's riding season again. So May 1st to kick off bike month, to kick off the riding season. You can join everyone for a ride out Um, of Bikes Not Bombs and there's lots of information on the event if you go to their Instagram and Facebook which is Women on Wheels Boston. So make sure to check that out. I sadly cannot attend which I'm super bummed about but um, you can see them and of course my guest Meg Cater said she will be there as well. So make sure to check that out. Uh, The final one that I want to highlight because I don't want to take forever in my outro is my REI event. I'm doing a sponsored ride with Yari slash women on wheels um this is you know a we're co-leading the ride randon easton women on wheels uh, and it is sponsored by rei it is on may 20th so i will be promoting it again in my next episode but you know the rsvp is available and rei is doing a huge boston pedals together um you know bike month event palooza of stuff so I have a link to that as well in the show notes so that you can check out everything that they're doing because they're gonna have a lot of events happening thank you to PQ Gabby and Meg Cater for chatting with me on this episode the theme and music is by the extremely talented Kate Hardley and don't forget her album West still available always available on Bandcamp I've listened it's great Uh, and you can find that at katehardley.bandcamp.com The podcast is hosted, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Laura Jillian, with an honorable mention to Watson, the bike dog, for his contributions throughout the show. For more information about the show and biking, you can visit my website, randonista.com, and follow my adventures in biking and more behind the scenes for the pod at randonista on Instagram. I am going to get better about posting those. Apologies, everyone. Um, You can also check out Watson's Biking Adventures uh, at Watson, the Bike Dog on Instagram. And if you like this show, please rate and review in your podcast app of choice and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now your Watson' moment. How many years previous to the Olympics? And I will whoop, there you go my ray moment working in the distance watson watson went upstairs and was lying on the bed upstairs by himself because i just saw him come down the stairs
3: he said what's going on what's going on folks
1: he's ready for bed he was like no no this is i'm normally sound asleep for like three hours at this point everything all right you scare up the scary person yeah, I'm not worried about being
0: alone in this house with these two not dogs. At all. You,
3: got, you, got, you got guard dogs for sure.
0: You've got to kill a killer fish.